Good morning, everybody. Hey, snow didn't stop you guys. It's awesome. Thanks for being here. Uh, to set the stage for the passage we're going to look at today in Acts 15, we want to look at a, a video by a great philosopher named Dr. Seuss. Now the star-bellied Sneetches had bellies with stars. But the plain-bellied Sneetches had none upon Mars. No stars on their bellies. No stars upon Mars. Now those stars weren't so big. They were really quite small. You would think such a thing wouldn't matter at all. But because they had stars, all the star-bellied Sneetches would brag. We're the best kind of Sneetch on the beaches. With their snoots in the air, they would sniff and they'd snort. They'd have nothing to do with a plain belly sort. Ronald, remember, when you are out walking, you walk past a sneech of that type without talking. Keep your snoot in the air and remember to snort. We have no truck whatever with the plain bellied sort. When the star-bellied children went out to play ball, could a plain belly get in the game? Not at all. You only could play if your bellies had stars, and the plain belly children had none upon the Yeah, yeah, your belly's got no stars. Stupid little star. If there's one upon your tummy, that's just yummy, you're my chummy. If there isn't, you're a crummy, slummy, gummy, bummy, dummy. That applies likewise to your daddy and your mommy. Twink, twink, twinkle, twinkle, lovely little star. Twink, twink, twinkle, twinkle, stupid little star. When the Starbelly Sneeches had Frankfurter roasts, or picnics, or parties, or marshmallow toasts, they never invited the Plainbelly Sneeches. They left them out cold in the dark of the beaches. So, you know, it's kind of silly, but it actually works well with the passage we're looking at today. One of the realities of the gospel is that, that God wants to use it uh, to bring together very different types of people and to make them one to make them a family. And uh, from an earthly perspective though, history has shown us this is a lot easier said than done. And in Acts 15, it, the passage we're gonna look at today, it describes two different groups of Christians. There's, uh, they're, they're both in Antioch, and uh, the first group was the Christians from a Jewish background. And they had grown up, as Jews, they had grown up reading the Old Testament. They were brought up in the Jewish lifestyle, following all the Jewish rules and rituals. They felt a special connection to the Savior Jesus because he was Jewish. And so going with this analogy here, the, uh, the Jewish Christians were kind of like the star-bellied sneeches. Okay? Now the second group was the Christians from a Gentile background. And uh, the Gentile Christians did not grow up reading the Old Testament um, or following the Jewish law. The, the Gentile Christian, uh, Christians didn't have this racial connection with Jesus. But the Gentile Christians' faith in Jesus was just as authentic and real as the Jewish Christians. But these Gentile Christians were kind of like the plain-bellied snitches. And now Paul and Barnabas 
Remember who, this was their home church where this was happening in Antioch. Uh, they had already talked these Antioch Christians as a church family. You guys, it doesn't matter if you're a star-bellied snitch or a plain-bellied snitch, okay? God loves you. He loves you all the same. God has saved you all the same way. There's one Savior. There's one faith. There's one baptism. You're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and God wants you all to love one another now. Even though before you were Christians, your different people groups hated each other, we're telling you now that you're one in Jesus Christ. Well, for, for quite a while, uh, the church was loving each other well, okay? And until what happened is some troublemakers came from out of town and stirred things up into this, this great church in Antioch. And uh, these false teachers, it says they were from Judea, and they came to Antioch, and then they came to all of these young churches throughout Galatia that Paul and Barnabas had just started, brand new Christians. And these false teachers began to teach them a different gospel than Paul and Barnabas had just taught them. And they said that, uh, that the false teachers taught that, specifically the Christian men, they said, listen, if you want to be a Christian, if you want Jesus to save you, if you want to be made right with God, then you must be circumcised like all the Jewish Christians. So in, all, in other words, all the plain-bellied sneeches had to become star-bellied sneeches if they wanted to be saved by Jesus. That's what he's telling them. And in addition to that, these false teachers told the, the Jewish Christians, don't eat with the Gentile Christians, okay? Because they're not following the Jewish eating laws, the dietary laws. So, so these teachers were, said that the only way the Gentile Christians could be saved by God is if they were circumcised and if they adopted Jewish culture and began to follow the Jewish law. Okay, now Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch when all this went down, and that's where these teachers came to, and Paul was infuriated. And if you read the book of Galatians, you see that, right? Um, and Paul was, this is what he knew. He said, I'm one, <laughs> I'm one of the greatest star-bellied sneeches of all time, Okay? <laughs> But Paul knew that a person's race and ethnicity could not get them right with God. Paul's gospel was that only Jesus can make us right with God, and so we must trust in him for salvation. So who was right? That's the big question here, okay? Paul, Paul was he right, or were these new teachers from Judea right? People were confused here because they're really getting different mixed messages. And, and this conflict led to one of the most important church meetings in all of history, the past 2,000 years. At stake was the very gospel of Jesus Christ. At stake was the teaching that eternal salvation is available to humanity because of God's grace alone and it's received through faith alone. That's what was at stake. And so let's see what happens here, okay? If you have your Bible, I want you to open up to Acts chapter 15 with me. And we're going to start at verse 1. you're turning there, let me pray for us. Lord, we just thank you that we can be here today to, to worship you. And, and uh, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would help us now, God, to, to focus on you, to keep our eyes on you, to hear this message of your grace and compassion for humanity for each one of us. You know our circumstances. You know what's going through our minds and hearts and our families as we come here today. And I just thank you, God, that you're good and that... Uh, um, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you tell us you care about us, you're concerned about us. And I thank you for that. And I pray that um, um, 
we would just continue to turn away from our sin today and to look to you and trust in you, Jesus. Uh, please help us now and please protect us from, from Satan. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So let's start here. Let's, let's kind of read how this all went down according to Acts 15, 1 to 4. This is a big passage today, and so we're going to look a little at a time. Acts 15, 1 to 4, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. So the name given to these false teachers who came to Galatia and to Antioch were Judaizers, Judaizers. And they were called Judaizers because they were teaching that a person can't receive eternal life simply by trusting in Jesus. That you have to trust in Jesus plus you have to convert, convert to Judaism. And Paul and Barnabas disagreed so strongly with the Judaizers that this church, their church family in Antioch appointed them and some other Christians to go to Jerusalem, where is where Judea was, and meet with the, the leaders there, meet with the apostles, meet with the elders of the Jerusalem church, and clear this up. And verse 3 says that that's what they did. They went to Jerusalem, and you're talking about several hundred miles here, okay, um, hiking or on a donkey or something, but it's a long path. And Paul and Barnabas, on their way, visited some of the churches they had established, right, in Phoenicia and in Samaria, and they said, hey, you need to hear about, they kind of did a celebration Sunday, okay, in those churches. And they said, you need to hear about all these Gentiles who become Christians throughout the Roman Empire. And it says the Phoenician and Samaritan Christians, they were thrilled. They were thrilled to hear that the gospel was spreading among the Gentiles. Well, after several hundred miles on the road, Paul and Barnabas, they finally arrive at Jerusalem. They were welcomed warmly there by the brothers. And while Paul and Barnabas were telling the church everything that God had done among the Gentiles uh, over the past few years of their missionary journey, a few of the believers from Jerusalem interrupted them. Verses 5 to 6 say, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Okay, I don't know if you have you. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the Avengers movies, um, but the movies all kind of start out the same. Okay, things on Earth are going great until some powerful bad guys show up from outer space. They start killing people, and and most of the time, right, they're there to harvest Earth's resources before they move on to the next planet and do the same thing. So unless somebody does something, planet Earth is going to be destroyed. So that's, right, about 20 minutes in, cue the Avengers. 
And the Avengers, well, they're the team of super, superheroes who, who fix problems like this. Whenever the world is in danger, one of the Avengers, Nick Fury, probably calls this meeting. And I'm not that much of a geek. I don't really watch this, but <laughs> I, I do like the movies. Um, and and they, they basically, the, the Avengers come from all over the world to the central site. They're going to get their facts straight. They're going to strategize about how to beat the bad guys, right? Well, it's really, as you see, this is an epic meeting happening here in in Jerusalem. And it's it's a similar analogy uh, to what's going on in verse 6. See, enemies of the true gospel had shown up. And this has temporary repercussions and eternal spiritual repercussions for everybody. Okay, because they're spreading this false teaching. And some people are are embracing it and quickly multiplying it and making other disciples who are spreading this false teaching. And it was so dangerous to the souls of everybody and to the existence of the church that basically the, the spiritual giants, if you will, of the Christian faith call a meeting together to address this heresy. And so verse 6 says that the apostles and the elders were gathered to consider this matter. Now, now obviously these guys were not superheroes, okay? But... As apostles and as people who had walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus, they had a unique apostolic authority to address this issue since they had not yet written much of the New Testament. Okay? These are the these apostles, these are the same ones who would write the New Testament. And at this point, maybe James had been written and maybe Galatians was being written or something. We don't know for sure. So the meeting of these of these apostles and elders was very important. And, and so what, who do you have here? Well, you've got Paul and Barnabas, right? Um, they're, they're representing Antioch and basically all of Galatia. And, and then you've got the apostle Peter here. We haven't heard about him in a while, but he was the leader of the apostles. And he'd probably come off the mission field to be there in Jerusalem with them. And then you had James, the brother of Jesus, who was also at this time, he was the elder of, this, of the church in Jerusalem. He was the lead elder. He was called, probably called the president of the, elder if they were follow, uh, of the elders if they were following the old synagogue system, okay? But in addition to these individuals, uh, Luke describes several groups of Christians here that, that are all gathered together to address this matter. They're the apostles, who are, who are the remaining 12 disciples of Jesus who were still living in Jerusalem. Uh, There were the elders, who were the elder pastors of the church in Jerusalem, and then there was the church, um, which refers to all the Christians in this church family here in Jerusalem. And and so you got all these people here who love Jesus, uh, they're passionate about following Jesus, they're passionate about spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth, and they have to clarify now, what is the gospel? What must a person do to be saved? Is faith in Jesus enough? Or, or do you need to trust in Jesus and convert to Judaism? And then there's all sorts of other options, right, of how that could look. Can you trust in Jesus and be circumcised but not follow the rest of the Jewish laws? Are you saved then? What about the Gentiles? Are they truly saved if they haven't been circumcised? What happened to them? Was their salvation a fake? Is salvation only for the Jews? All these questions start start coming up. These are very important questions. And what we've seen so far in Acts is we've seen Peter and Paul and Barnabas and, and different um, Christian leaders kind of figure out the answers to these questions as they were in different parts of the empire. And now they're all coming together as a church and saying, 
let's, uh, let's talk about this. And, and so there's spirit-filled leaders here that are each going to weigh in on this one at a time. And they start with the Apostle Peter. And let's read what the Apostle Peter says in verses 7 to 11. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So let's stop there real quick. In the early days. What's, what's interesting here is you guys remember when, uh, you might remember when Peter went to go preach to Cornelius and his family the gospel and they were saved. Well, that was only a few chapters ago in Acts, but that was 10 years previous. Okay? So when he's talking about in the early days, he's saying 10 years ago, I went and preached to the Gentiles. Okay? Um, let's go to verse 8. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Okay, so these are the words, think about who's talking here. This is Peter, born and bred a Jew. So if, if in his flesh he were going to be partial to either of the groups, he would be partial to his own people, the Jews. But this is what he says. He says, listen, it was God's plan to preach to the Jews, or to the Gentiles. It was God's plan to take the gospel to all nations. And he says, remember 10 years earlier um, when, I, when I went and, and, and God gave us the command to eat the food of the Gentiles and to have the Gentiles stay in our house, which we hadn't done before, and to preach to the Gentiles and they were saved. And, and he says, I saw firsthand that those Gentiles really believed the gospel and God showed it because as soon as they trusted, God confirmed it by filling them with the Holy, filled them with the Holy Spirit in such a way that they began speaking in tongues right in front of me. But none of those people have been circumcised. <laughs> but they were saved. God saved them when they believed. Okay? So to Peter, it was clear, to Peter here, that salvation comes through faith and not through circumcision, not through following the Old Testament law. In verse 9, it says that, he says that the way a heart is cleansed of sin is not through obeying the law, but through faith, through trusting in Jesus because he kept the law for us. Heart is cleansed through faith in Jesus. So Peter then asked the council, why in the world would we burden our Gentile Christian brothers by telling them they gotta keep the Jewish law now when we haven't been able to keep the law and none of our forefathers could keep the law? And then he says this awesome verse in verse 11. He says, but we believe we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will, through the grace of the Lord Jesus. The gift of the Lord Jesus, right? Verse 12 then says, and all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. That's all it says. So, so Paul and Barnabas here use their time to testify to everybody about signs and wonders, about the, the wonders they had seen God do as they preached the gospel to the Gentiles. We've read about healings they did and, and, uh, and, and different things that they did among them. And so what, 
Paul and Barnabas are pointing out is the exact same thing Peter just pointed out. That the Holy Spirit did signs and wonders while they preached the gospel because God is pleased to save the Gentiles. And Paul and Barnabas had seen lots of Gentiles trust in Jesus and none of them were circumcised. All right? So next, it's James' turn to speak. And verses 13 to 14 say, after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. So just as a side note there, uh, Simeon is Simon Peter, okay? That's the same person. It's a Jewish way of saying Simon. And James says that uh, he agrees with Simon Peter uh, basically here that the, the mission of the Gentiles is totally of God, that God's plan is to rescue people from all nations. And in verses 15 to 17 then, James now takes the Old Testament scripture to back it up, okay? He says, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. So this prophecy that he cites here is from the book of Amos, chapter 9, verses 11 to 12. And basically the tent of David here that he's talking about that had fallen refers to Jesus' body, which had fallen, which was, was dead, but which God the Father built and restored. And then verse 17 tells us why Jesus died and rose again. What does it say? It says, so that mankind may seek the Lord, all the Jews and the Gentiles who are called by God's name. And so, so James here is, is citing the word of God to say again, listen, we know this, that from old, God ordained the church, his people, to be made up of all peoples, Jew and Gentile alike. So you've got this uni unity here, right, between what Peter's saying and Paul and Barnabas and, and James. And if we stop right there, what have, we, what have we established so far? Well, first, we've established it was God's choice and God's plan to save Jews and Gentiles. Okay? God is the doer of the mission. God is the giver of the promise. Second, God showed his pleasure in saving the Gentiles by performing signs and wonders um, as, as the gospel was preached by Paul and Barnabas and by Peter. And third, Christians are saved through faith in Jesus, not by following the Old Testament law. That's what Peter said, right? You're cleansed, your heart is cleansed through faith. And then fourth, Christians are saved on account of God's grace alone not on account of their own race or their own culture or their own good works. And with that established, let's see what James the elder here says next in verses 19 to 21. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And then let's, um, let's keep reading here through verse 29. 
And then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Okay, so let's stop there. This, so this large council of Christians here in Jerusalem decides to write this letter. Okay, we're gonna, this is how we're going to tackle this. We're going to write this letter and distribute it to all the churches. And as a visible display of solidarity, the Jerusalem church sends two of their lead brothers, um, Barsabbas and Silas. And they're going to send them with Paul and Barnabas to go back to Antioch and deliver this to the church. And that was important because it showed that these brothers in Jerusalem were united with these brothers in Antioch. And it also is, is going to show the Christians in Antioch and throughout Galatia that the authoritative teaching about the gospel was with Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James and the apostles. Those false brothers from Judea were not in agreement with the church in Jerusalem or with the elders or with the apostles. And in this way, the apostles worked with the early churches to put the kibosh on this false teaching, okay? Now, why in the world did the council instruct the Gentile Christians to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality? Well, it's important to know this. The council was not telling the Gentile Christians, do these things if you want to be saved. Okay? Now, remember this. One of the practical problems that the Jewish Christians had with the Gentile Christians, you've got this, this very uh, a motley crew together, okay? And they're coming together to be a family, and you wouldn't see them together in any other environment, and there's a clash of cultures happening. And in Jewish culture, they simply prepared food differently than in Gentile culture. And the Jews had certain ceremonial procedures that they followed to stay sexually pure and to stay in community with one another. And, and what happened is these Jewish food preparation rules and these sexual purification rules prohibited Jewish Christians in their consciences from breaking bread with Gentile Christians. And so what the council is requesting is that the Gentile Christians accommodate the Jewish Christians by following these four guidelines so that all of them can continue to fellowship together and to continue to break bread together. So this is the big idea. These four instructions here are not related to salvation. They're related to keeping unity in the church. That's what it's about. That's why he gives them these commands. Okay, let's finish this here. Verses 30 to 35. 
So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Okay, so, so when the Christians in Antioch get this letter, they read it aloud. It's from the Jerusalem council here. It says they were filled with joy. Okay, because this letter was a reaffirmation of many things. It was a reaffirmation that the Gentile Christians were just as much Christians as Jewish Christians. Okay, that was important to them. They were not second-class citizens. That the, this was a reaffirmation that the Gentiles were fully accepted in the sight of the Lord through faith in Jesus. And this was a reaffirmation that the false teachers who had caused them so much trouble, uh, they were baloney, and they need to be refuted. They were refuted. Do not listen to them. We didn't even send them. They're not from us. And then there was now a, a practical plan on how to pursue unity in all of these local churches throughout the empire that were made up of both Jews and of Gentiles. So this letter was really good news. And, and so as we look at this whole thing here, I'm, I'm sure you could see that it has all sorts of applications for how we approach God as individuals and as, uh, how we approach God as, as, uh, as Christians kind of in our relationship with him during the week and how we live life together as a church family. Now, because I do not know how to preach a 90-minute sermon in 45 minutes, we're gonna, I want to camp out on this passage next week also, okay, because we're taking the Lord's Supper today also, which is great. And so as we prepare to do that, this is what I want you to think about, though. As, as we look at this passage, as we see why this issue of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, is such a big deal, uh, I hope that that is on your heart and on, on your mind as you, as you take the communion today. Um, this is a very precious thing. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of how can I as a person who's messed up and who is sinful be right with the holy God of the universe and have him forgive me and love me. And the message is through faith in Jesus because he finished all the work. So if you're here and you haven't heard that message, you need to know that. You don't add anything before to save you. You don't add anything after to save you. We do things as disciples of Christ because we love Jesus afterwards, but that does not add one iota to our salvation. So as we, as we take the Lord's Supper, um, it is a precious thing that God would save any of us, that he would have compassion on us, that he would have concern for us, that he would do this because he loves us. It's a precious thing that, think about this, you and I contribute nothing to the salvation but a big problem for God to deal with. And he did because he loves us. This, this message is that God applies salvation to us through faith as we tr turn our eyes to him and trust in him. 
And it's precious. Think about this. Who could do it? Who could do that? Who could get rid of all your sin and all your shame? Who could make you born again? Only the perfect Lamb of God. Only Jesus Christ, who was without sin and who was our sacrificial Lamb who died and who rose from the dead. There's no other person, no other being in history that can do that. And it is a precious thing to think about this, that your joy, that God wants a joy for you and salvation and life for you, that your joy is intended to be for the glory of God alone who is eternally precious. That you get the eternally precious God gives God glory and makes you joyful. What a win-win gospel this is. And what a gracious, kind, loving God we have. So as the communion servers come forward here, let's take a minute or two to meditate on this and to thank the Lord for this gospel of salvation by his grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus who loves us. And then I'll I'll, uh, pray for us. But let's just take a few minutes of silence here. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that it is in your name alone that we come to you. We don't come in the name of our works or ourselves, our race, our culture, our ethnicity, our upbringing. We come in the name of Jesus because only Jesus provides us the righteousness that we need to come to Jesus. (laughs) Thank you for this gospel that's been entrusted to us, Lord this gospel of your love and your grace toward sinners who have turned against you. Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to continue to keep our eyes on you and uh, that you would give us greater desire for you and that we would seek you not out of duty alone but out of delight in you. Delight in the Savior who loves us. Thank you, God. Thank you for that. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.